for weeks now, almost every day, I would say, today I'm going to record a podcast episode. And then I'd be like, nope, no. I would have such resistance to it. And so I haven't. And that's how I operate in this world, is that I don't really make myself do anything that doesn't feel right. Like, it's it's literally either a hell yes or a hell no. It's very, very clear in my energy, usually. Except for um, ordering, like, I go to a coffee shop and they say, we have two choices of milk, oat or whole milk. And it is not an instantaneous <laughs> hell yes or hell no in that situation. I have to deliberate it. I'm like which do I want? Which do I want? And it's those choices that I struggle with and I have major indecision about and I'm trying to figure out where that comes from and why I have that because other things are so clear. Do I want to record a podcast episode today? Yes or no. And it's so clear. It's so decisive. I can feel it in my body. And I don't know why I can't transfer that that clarity into a coffee shop, choosing which milk. <laughs> I have yet to master that skill. Or ordering an item from a menu. What do I want for dinner? It's like I'm deciding whether to wage World War Three. It's a huge decision. And it's just weird and funny. But anyway, so today is the day I'm doing this. <laughs> and it's the new moon. And I do feel like... This new moon is awakening deep stuff in me. It's making me fiery. And I'm not that into full moons and new moons. Like, I'm aware of the moon cycle because I'm in tune with my own menstrual cycle. And so I have to, I am connected to both the moon and my body. But I am not that into, oh my gosh, it's the full moon. It means this and that and this and that and it's the new moon. But there are certain moons that I can't ignore what I'm feeling. And this moon is one of them. It's a new moon and I have a fire awakening in me about how deeply I am called to defend women and children. It is so powerful in me. Like, I get tears in my eyes right now. And I never, ever felt that I've been call- I, I'm called to attend home births yet. But right now, the seed is being planted in me because I am a woman that believes in a woman's body and believes in a woman's body capacity to birth in in the perfection of a woman's body in the perfection of nature nature never makes mistakes and I have this insane defender energy this fire to let women know and to help women know that they can do it I know they can do it. And I and a gift that I have is to help someone believe in themselves because I can feel it so deeply. And I it's this fire I can light under people's butts and I and I've done it 
throughout my life, but human design has really helped me really understand it deeply about myself and my personality and and like the gifts I offer. And when I believe in something about someone, like a woman's ability to birth on her own, I will go to the ends of the earth to help her feel that and know that. And I'm getting tears because I I do I do use this gift on my Instagram, but for the first time ever I do feel the seed planting in me to perhaps walk through it with women in labor. I've never felt the call besides this moment. And so I feel like the seed is planting and who knows how this is going to unfold. Who knows if I actually ever do this. But I feel the seed is planting in me. Because there needs to be more supporters, birth supporters in this world that fully and 100% support a woman in labor. That can go completely into trust and stop blaming her body and stop fear-mongering her. And I feel like in the past year, I've been learning so much about free birth, about natural childbirth, about the absolute perfection that birth is, how nature created it, that perhaps I can be this person for women. And people have always asked me, oh, is that your next step? And I said, no, I don't feel that at all. And I'm feeling it right now. So we'll see how this pans out. But anyways, beyond that, right now, I'm riding a life high right now. I am in this space where everything makes me cry. (laughs) Everything makes me cry. Music makes me cry. The puffy clouds in the sky can make me cry. And when I feel this way, I just got to ride it. I have to ride it because it's a high that doesn't last. Because in January, I had a dark night of the soul. And I have not talking about I have not talked about that yet. Because I have not been ready. Because it was hard and I learned a lot. But I was in such darkness then and now I am at the opposite end of the spectrum and I am just riding a high but I have to talk about the dark night of the soul because the contrast of light and dark is what life is there is no escaping feeling both light and dark and it is through feeling both light and dark that we can truly appreciate everything it is through the contrast that we can then truly ride a high of life when we feel it I have to talk about my dark night of the soul because that's what makes me human I am human and I love embracing my humanness it's so hard and it's so gross sometimes but I as the months go on I get more more concerned with being more human And leaning into my humanness than being spiritual. I think there's a time and a space for being spiritual. And 
tapping into our soul, that eternal wisdom that is always in us, that we can always tap into. But I just see the spiritual community trying to escape human humanness so intensely. We are here on this earth to be human. That's it. How deeply can you be human? That's what I'm interested in. And that's why I have no shame talking about my humanness, about my darkness. Because I know all of you feel that. And if I can talk about mine, it can help alleviate the shame you might feel about your darkness. So my dark night of the soul, thankfully, did not last a long time. Honestly, it was maybe two to three weeks. That is short, in my opinion. So I'm just so grateful it did not last a long time. Some people have a dark night of the soul for months or years. Mine was so short. I am so grateful it was so short. But while in it, it feels like it's lasting forever. How it started was in January when my husband wanted a dog. He wants a dog so bad. He wants this one specific dog. He wants this Frenchie. He wants a Frenchie. But there was this one specific dog that was being sold. And every single day, he'd say, I want this dog. I want this dog. I want this dog. And every single day that he would bring it up as like the days and the weeks went on, it started triggering me so massively. It started making me react. Like I couldn't slowly respond in like a calm, good way. No, I would react and I'd be. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awakening my inner child in me. Because I'm not, I'm not being logical about the way I'm reacting. It's like a trauma response. I would kind of bite back. I would yell back. I would instantly be in a spiral of anger when he would just bring up the topic of getting a Frenchie dog. Well, side note, I said, I do not want a dog at all, but I would compromise on a different breed. I compromised on a different breed. And he's like, no, I want a Frenchie. I'm like, well, there's so many things wrong with Frenchies in my opinion. They're like a mutation and they can't lick their own butts. They can't swim in swimming pools. They drown. They can break their bones when they jump off a couch. There's so many things wrong with them. So I have, a, I have my reasons for being against Frenchies. And so I said, I will compromise and get a different breed. And he's like, no. I'm like, well, I did my 50%. I feel like I did my 50%. And then he just wouldn't drop it. He wouldn't drop this Frenchie. And it started making me into a monster. That's what it felt like. So then I'm like, what is this in me? Why am I becoming a monster when my husband just brings up the topic of a dog? Then I was able to go inwards and realize that every time he was bringing up a dog, it was triggering my inner child back to when I was a child and every time my parents brought home a new sibling. Every time they brought home a new sibling, which was three brothers. There's three brothers below me. Every time they brought home a new sibling, I was left in the dust a little more. 
I was forgotten about a little more. I got a little less attention, a little less affection by this new shiny thing. So the way my inner child was perceiving this dog situation was as a major threat, major threat as a loss of love, a loss of attention, a loss of affection. If he got this dog, I would be watching him cuddling with this dog and my inner child would be like, these are the cuddles I could be having, but he's giving it to a dog. <sighs> it, it kind of became like irrational. That's how I knew it had deep, deep childhood roots to it. And then I knew it was super deep because in, in my hypnotherapy session that I had like a year and a half ago, the first scene in my hypnotherapy session was when I was two years old and my mom was about to birth my brother and I needed her to get down to my level and explain this massive life change that was about to happen to me. This massive life change that was going to rock my world. I just needed someone to explain what was about to happen. Like I was blindsided when my brother came home from the hospital. My whole world changes, my, my life changed, and I just needed someone to explain like fully what was happening. And that was a scene in my hypnotherapy session that I had to kind of re-script. And because it was a scene that showed up, I knew it was so powerful. So this dog situation started triggering like my dark, dark shadow. It started triggering my monster side of myself, my devil side of myself, my inner child, like whatever you want to call it. But I was becoming like an uglier and uglier version of myself because the mention of this dog was a threat to my ego. It was a threat. It was a loss of attention, a loss of love, a loss of affection. And to me, that threat's real. Like if my husband got a dog and he would be very affectionate, he's very affectionate with with animals. I would be watching it. I would watch it and be like, I want that affection. I deserve that affection. And so I know it will be like a hard topic. I do think a child will be different because I want a child. I don't want a dog. Like there's nothing in me that wants a dog. My cat fulfills me. I love monkeys so much. I don't need more of the animal kingdom in my house. I'm happy with what I have. So this dog situation was the thing that started awakening my shadow self. And then it just steamrolled. It, it just steamrolled into <laughs> this bigger, badder version of itself. And I started becoming this... My, I started acting from my shadow self then like every single day. And so what that means for me, I don't know if it's different for everyone, but my shadow self is all of my ugliest parts of myself. It's all of the 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 ugliest things I try to hide and try to be like, "No, I'm not like that." And you know, it's your jealousy, it's your it's anger, it's rage, it's all of the bad things that we were punished for as a child that we tried to, you know, really shut out and dismiss as an adult. And we hide it. We, we try to full on hide it. But 
it really comes out to play. Like you can't help that it comes out to play. And that's when we have to face our shadow self. So my dark night of the soul is what I call it because I was facing my shadow self every single day. And I couldn't control it. This is the hardest part is that I feel like I couldn't control my own body and I couldn't control my own mind. And that, oh my gosh, like that was, I felt like a prisoner in my own body because I couldn't override my ego stories. I couldn't override my shadow self. And I felt like I've learned how to do that. I've learned how to listen to an ego story like, oh, Malcolm doesn't care about you because he did this. I've learned how to override that and be like, no, that's not true. I don't believe that. And then move on with my day. I've learned how to override my ego stories. And that's like what I've used this podcast to talk about. But in this dark night of the soul, I could not override my ego stories. I was conscious. I was aware of my ego stories And then I was aware that I was latching onto them and believing them and then like giving Malcolm the silent treatment because that's what my shadow self does. And so I was doing all of the toxic stuff that I used to do years ago. All of it was back. All of my toxic habits, communication styles, my shadow was fully alive in me. And I felt like I couldn't control my shadow self. And that was probably the hardest part of it all for me. Because I'm an Enneagram 8, my biggest fear is not being in control. And so I truly felt like I wasn't in control of my own mind. I wasn't in control of my own ego stories. And I couldn't override them. I kind of felt like this darkness kind of took over me and... I couldn't override it and I felt powerless to it and it was so hard and I felt like it was a suffering and it was so intense and obviously there were so many lessons, so many lessons. I'm going to try to explain all of the lessons. There were no lessons during the darkness, FYI. I was just surviving. When I was in my ego, believing all my ego stories, facing my shadow, there was no, oh, what's the silver lining? What's the lesson in this? It was just trying to survive. But once I'm out of it, and when I'm very honest with myself, radically honest with myself, I was not trying that hard to get out of my ego because I wasn't meditating. And you know what? I wasn't praying. So then I challenge myself and say, how hard was I actually trying? Because I know when we meditate and we go into our soul and we, we tap into that eternal wisdom, that peace, that love, that trust... We cannot, we always have it available to us and we can always do that. But in my dark night of my soul, I never did it. I neverly, I neverly, I never actively tried to shift. So then I question myself, and this is being 
This is critically thinking. This is being the challenger. So then was I choosing my own suffering? If I wasn't actively seeking it to change, I just wanted to, I just wanted to pill. Like I just wanted an easy fix to get out of my ego, not believe my ego stories. I wanted to feel my lightness. I wanted to feel my light. But I wasn't doing the work to shift. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't doing that sort of thing. I was like going on walks and stuff, but I wasn't actually actively trying to get into my soul. So if I was not actively trying to change it, I was choosing it. I was choosing my suffering. This is just reality. This is truth. I was choosing my suffering. So why would I choose to suffer? Because the ego has a benefit. The ego has a gain. The ego does everything it does for a benefit, for a gain. What did I benefit? Attention. Attention. I was able to be like, poor me, I'm suffering. Someone help me, someone save me. Poor me, poor me, poor me. And that's just, that's what the ego loves to do. And I was doing that. I was. I'm not hard on myself that I was doing that but when I honestly look at the situation that is the truth of it and then the other part that I can be radically honest with is that I didn't pray throughout the whole thing why why wouldn't I utilize the greatest tool ever so if I wasn't praying was I choosing to suffer And the greatest part of the story is that the day I prayed is the day everything shifted. So two or three weeks into it, it was a Sunday and I was blaming Malcolm for everything. Like in my head, even maybe verbally, I was just, I was so unhappy. I was so in darkness and I was blaming him for all of it all of it. It's his fault. He did this. He did that. He did. He cannot do anything right. And I finally was like, God, I cannot take this anymore. God, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And I finally prayed. And I had the realization, oh my God, like I haven't even prayed throughout all this. So have I even been trying to change my state? So I finally prayed. Then A few hours later, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to have a weed gummy. I need some plant medicine to help me shift out of my mind. And it worked. (laughs) It shifted everything. I was able to like go out of my body and view my situation from outside of my body. It was major. And it was the first time I was able to see plant medicine in action. It, it, was, it was a very, 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 very pivotal moment for me personally. I've never been into marijuana. It's never helped me. I've heard other people's stories of plant medicine, but this was my first personal experience how a plant helped me shift my state and my mind. So how the weed gummy helped me is that I was able... So I took one and Malcolm did not. And I was able to fully explain to him what has been happening to me and what has fully been going on. 
And there was this moment when I when we were in the kitchen and I'm like spilling my heart out saying what's all been happening with me for the past few weeks. And he's pretty accepting of when I'm in my shadow self. Like his gift is his grace and he is pretty accepting when I am so in my shadow. And I don't know that I could feel, fully return the favor to him which has been a lesson for me. If he was having a dark night of the soul, if he was fully in his shadow self for weeks, how gracious could I be? I, I don't know. I don't know that I would return the favor to him and that's like what I've had to face in myself. That's what I've been asking of myself lately. But anyways, a big moment with the weed gummy is that I was in the ki- we were in the kitchen. I was explaining my heart. I was explaining everything. I was connecting with him. And then he walked to the couch away from me. He walked away from me. He laid down. He turned the TV on. He turned his attention fully away from me to the TV. And my ego watched this happen. I was fully in the moment, aware of everything happening. And I said, oh my God, I was just doing what I should be doing. I was connecting with you. I was reaching out to you. I was sharing my heart with you. And then you walk away from me and turn your attention elsewhere. And I was just, the weed was just helping me observe the moment as it was happening for what it is. It wasn't a, it's not a blame on Malcolm, but it was just, it was, I was able to watch the dynamic as it was, as it was happening. And I said, this is why, this is why I give you the silent treatment. Because when I am showing you my love, you walk away from me and turn your attention elsewhere. But when I give you the silent treatment, when I withhold my love from you, you crawl to me and abandon yourself and try to win back my love. I get all the love and attention I could ever want when I pull away from him. When I pull my love away from him, when I create distance between us, he runs back to me and is just showering me in affection to win back my love. So of course, my ego wants to do this all the time because it works. It works so well because then when I am doing the good thing of being vulnerable and reaching out and connecting, he walks away from me and I like get no reward for connecting. But when I give him the silent treatment, I get rewarded by doing that behavior. I get rewarded by having all this affection. Because he abandons himself to win my love back. That's the toxic dynamic that we used to do years ago. And I haven't done that dynamic in a long time. But in this dark night of the soul, that's what I kept doing. And I kept confronting it. And the hardest part was that I knew I shouldn't be giving the silent treatment. But I was still doing it. Because I would get the affection and the love I desired by doing it. It's like a toddler. It works so well. So why would you not do it? 
so I, I kept doing it and it just works so well and it's because I don't get rewarded by doing the good behavior and it was so hard to like grasp but I fully saw this pattern was aware of it and using the weed gummy we were able to have some resolution where okay Malcolm's job is if he senses this distance if he can sense this distance when I pull away when I start giving silent treatment when I pull my love away from him can he say Leah what is your ego story telling you right now hey I am sensing you pulling away what is your ego telling you right now because my ego tells me stories all the time he did this he doesn't care he did that he doesn't care he did this he doesn't love me as much as I thought I'm not number one priority my ego tells me stories when I'm in my shadow mainly he does something and my ego makes it a story as he doesn't care enough about me he doesn't love me enough I'm not a priority story after story after story like like dozens of stories a day and normally I could override it Right now, in this moment, if my ego told me an ego story of he doesn't care enough because he did this, I could override it. But in this dark night of the soul, I could not override any of these stories and I believed every single ego story. But with this weed gummy, we were able to come to a resolution of, Malcolm, if you sense this distance, can you please spell out the moment? Be transparent. I feel this distance. What's your ego telling you? And then if I'm capable, I need to just start saying my ego stories. Because the minute you say your ego story is the minute it has no power. That's what I feel. And so I would start saying, hey, my ego is telling me you don't care enough about me because you did X, Y, Z. And I don't have to own that. It's just a story my ego is telling me. And so like, what if transparency is just saying what your ego is telling you without attaching to it and not owning it as your story? My ego is telling me this right now. What if we could do that? That's what I am trying to do. I've done it a few times. And so a few nights after that, weed situation I was able to verbally say hey my ego is telling me to pull away from you right now because I want affection I was able to successfully do that and it's liberating and I'm not able to do that every time but to me that's true transparency is I'm I'm sensing or not I'm sensing, my ego is telling me to withhold love from you because it wants attention and affection so bad. What if we could be that honest? Like, what if we could be that honest? Like, how could our relationships change if we're that honest? So I have successfully done that, but I did not successfully do it one, one evening 
there was this one evening where I got really mad over something and it's the stupidest thing ever. So I'm not even going to say it. But I got really mad over something that when he came home, I distanced myself from him. I gave him the silent treatment. I didn't look at him. I didn't interact with him for like three hours. And he was all over me. He was cuddling with me. He was giving me affection. And I was conscious of this the whole time, which is what made it so much worse and so much harder. Is that I knew I shouldn't be doing it and I was doing it. That's the hard part. That's the hard part of when you become aware of your actions is I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm still doing this. What's wrong with me? It was so hard. But what I realized is that I was testing him. I was full on testing him to see if he would do what we agreed upon. Would he sense that we that I am distancing myself from him? Would he sense that I am withholding love from him? And would he say, hey, I'm sensing distance. What's your ego telling you right now? So I tested him and he failed so bad. He failed and I could be blaming him, but God, it taught me that this whole situation and why I'm telling this whole story is that I tested him and he failed. And what it told me is that this marriage is on my shoulders. This relationship is all up to me. If I'm down for the count, our marriage crumbles. If I crumble, our marriage crumbles. Because he's not like holding up his 50% of the bargain. And it can be construed as blame, but I feel very solid about this. That I feel very resentful at times that I am the sole emotional manager of my marriage and that if I crumbled because the dark night of the soul taught me that when I crumble our marriage suffers that's what I learned and so I feel fully and 100% responsible for my marriage and that's not how it's supposed to be So that's what I was able to face. And and that's where a lot of my deep anger and resentment ultimately comes from. If I'm feeling resentful, it's because it's all up to me. It's all on my shoulders and it should not be that way. A marriage is 50-50. A marriage is a partnership. And there is room for the conversation that I am passionate about these topics and marriage therapy and communication. I am passionate about these topics. And so it is natural that I want to take the lead on it more and that I love talking about it. And it's just not Malcolm's passion and it's not something he's obsessed with. And so it's natural that I, that I will take the lead on this more. And it is something I love talking about. And yet I enable him to 
not do anything. I put all of it on my own shoulders when he he needs to take some responsibility and some weight. And, And how to do that is for him to start really learning what emotional attunement is and awareness of a moment is. And so that's what he's doing with uh, one of his friends that is just an amazing shaman. He's a very, very balanced masculine feminine man who has done so much inner work. He's a really amazing guy and Melk is so lucky to have this guy as his friend. And so Melk is doing sessions with him, you know, just learning and having, having deep, intimate conversations with someone other than me. He's having conversations with another man about deep life stuff that's essential so that's what's happening and it's so good because like I can't be involved in that like I can't hold his hand through all of this I can't enable him so he's just learning and I think we just handicap men from ever learning this skill because they're not taught it growing up women we are so taught how to emotionally manage relationships friendships all of the things just because it's socially acceptable we just innately learn from our culture how to do this because it's socially acceptable and men don't learn this skill most men i'm not saying all men Some men in their relationships are the emotional managers, but it is more rare. So I just, men are more handicapped with this situation. Most men don't even have a man that they can go to in a time of crisis, in a time of need to talk about deep emotional vulnerable stuff. Most men only have their partner, which is why when there's this, you know, massive rise in divorce when you're 40, 50, when the kids leave the nest, there's a higher suicide rate in men at this age because then they're fully alone. They have no one. When they lose their partner, they lose that intimate, vulnerable bond, that emotional connection with another human because most men only have friends to go to, you know, talking about sports and drinking beer. Because that's what is culturally accepted. Like, when you see a man at a restaurant having conversation, deep conversation with one other man in a restaurant, and say they're leaning into each other, a lot of us have judgments. Like, oh, I wonder if they're gay. Because we are so conditioned that if two men are having a really deep intimate conversation together they are not straight we wonder if they're gay but we don't do that with two women in a restaurant i watch myself do this it's so weird so that is how i have deep empathy for men for men in this culture that cannot have these intimate, close relationships with other men. And if they do, they're judged as gay. Or we have a wonder, oh, are they gay? 
But women are not perceived in that way. It's so weird. Okay, so anyways, one interesting note about this dark night of the soul is that I was constantly in fight or flight because every time he'd bring up this dog, I would get activated and I would get into fight or flight. And during this time, I got COVID. I held out for two years, never got it. When Malcolm got it in 2020, I cuddled with him, never got it, never got it. Then in January, I was eating perfect. I had no junk food. I had no sugar. I literally was eating perfect. And I got COVID because I was in fight or flight for like maybe two weeks. I was in fire flight. My COVID lasted um, 24 hours. It was really a breeze. I had a fever, you know, muscle aches. And then it was gone. I love having fevers. I really, really love having fevers because it's my body fighting it off. And my body is just so badass that it does it. And it lasted 24 hours. And so it wasn't a big deal. But then I did lose my taste and smell like a week later later for a few days. So again, I'm really grateful that I just lost my taste and smell for a few days. Some people lose it for weeks or months, but um, I really upped my zinc intake because that supposedly helps. There's a lot of controversy on ingesting zinc, but I'm whatever, you do you. And that's what I did. And who knows if it helped get my taste and smell back, but I feel fortunate that I only lost it for a few days because I love food. I love coffee. That gives me so much joy. And to have it taken away is strange. So in conclusion, my, I think I hit all the points. My dark night of the soul taught me a lot and a lot and a lot of things. Mainly, we have to sit through the dark to really appreciate the light like I'm basking in the light right now I am so blissed out with life right now and it's only because a few months ago I was in such darkness that when I'm in the darkness this is how it feels when there's a beautiful 70 degree day in Phoenix with the big puffy magical clouds it does nothing for me nothing makes me feel bliss or joy nothing but then when I'm riding this high of life these puffy clouds I had this the other day I just obsess over them I'm like oh my god and I just can see beauty and magic everywhere I just oh my god everything is magical and everything is beautiful but when I'm in the dark night of soul nothing is nothing is beautiful nothing is magical Everything is sucky. Life sucks. Everyone is annoying. When I was on Instagram during the dark night of the soul and there were these super positive people, I would be like, shut in my head. I'd be like, shut up. Life is not that magical. Why are you so positive? And their positivity triggered me so badly. Their happiness triggered me so badly when I was in the dark night of the soul. Because I'm like, you know, you need to be suffering like me. I'm suffering and everyone needs to suffer like me. Life sucks. 
That's our shadow. And it comes up to play so that we can face it and accept it just a little more. That's the whole point. We are a god and we are a devil. We are a soul and we are an ego. We are light and we are dark. We are all of these things. And we have to face all of them. All of them. So the other things I learned was that, you know, how actively really was I trying to seek my soul? Or did I really, really enjoy being in my ego? Because I really was a victim to my ego and I was suffering and did I enjoy the suffering? So did I choose my suffering? Did I like my suffering? Did I actually really like my suffering and did I benefit from it? Because I got attention. Maybe I got this attention from Malcolm. Like, feel bad for me. Poor me. I don't know. And then why wasn't I praying? Why wasn't I? I didn't pray once. And then the day I prayed, everything changed. Everything changed. When I was on my knees and I was like, God, help me. I don't want this anymore. And everything changed. For me, that is an insanely powerful story. And the gift of plant medicine. It can help us. It can help shift us. It can help us gain different perspectives. I, I feel very me using a weed gummy. But just I, I honestly kind of feel like the world's greatest therapist when I have a weed gummy. And so it just helps me get to a, a, a heightened level of different perspectives sometimes. That's how it feels. And then I was able to get to the root of why sometimes I feel this deep anger and resentment of being solely responsible for my marriage. That's not how it should be. And so I need to just stop enabling Malcolm and doing 100% of everything. He needs to learn these skills and it's time and he can do it. But he needs another man leading him. I can't do that work for him. I can't lead him. That's not my job. He needs another man leading him. And that's what's happening now. And I hope it leads to amazing things. 